Mr. Callum Walsh. How are you, sir? Good to have you on. I'm very good. How are you? I'm good, mate. You're looking great there. Nice little setup as well. It's strategically p- placed football jerseys in the background. Yeah, I mean, this is the only room in the house that I actually got to have uh, any. You got, the appro- you got the approval from the missus. Yeah, the approval. Yeah. So, so this, this small little room is is the only place I can call mine, really. So, absolute <laughs> my way and, and a few bits of memorabilia sticking about. Why not? Love it, mate. Love it. Yeah, I, I haven't got the approval from the missus for the house. I think I might get a shed in the garden. So, yeah, you might have to give me some tips afterwards as to how you were able to get that one <laughs> over the line. Uh, Cal, I, I'm glad you joined us because um, I want to uh, tap into, obviously, your experience, your role as uh, head of performance in a, a multitude of clubs. So I think it was most recently Newcastle, Huddersfield. I think you've been with the Turkish national team, Cardiff, and spent some time in Brazil. So a man of, uh, of good experience in this topic um but before we dive into that most importantly cal we worked together in a different capacity didn't we um for for those that don't know uh we went to university together we were good friends in fact i think i did i see you on the very first trial for the for the john moore's 40 team i think i did didn't i yeah i think i've still probably got your studs in my my No, that was just my my way of saying hello, mate. Yeah, that, that was a welcome to Liverpool from the boy from the small town in uh, in Somerset. Boom! All right, I'm I'm in the cities now. <laughs> no, we uh, yeah we were we were good friends. We were teammates, and then um, you became coach of the the Liverpool John Moore's uh, football team. Which for a lad your age, you know, I think you were best part of 24, having played with all the lads. Um, you know, it, was, it was no mean feat. Uh, must have been some experience for you, mate. Probably one of the the most important ones of your career, would you say? Yeah, yeah. I think I've always I've always leaned towards coaching. I think a lot of my experiences have helped where I've got to in the past. I kind of look back on things that whether it be my first day in at Newcastle or or Huddersfield and things that have kind of shaped my ability to kind of deal with that. And probably looking after people like yourself probably <laughs> were a, a, a good test for me. Yeah, to, to be fair, you're being incredibly modest there, I have to say. And I'm not just saying it because you're on the, the podcast. As I said, it was it, we were not an easy bunch. And for, for a former teammate to then step in, you know, arrive with his cones and, and to be honest, drastically try to change things as well to what we would have known. I actually found your sessions to be incredibly innovative and, and fun. Um, so that's why, like, I mean, we, we've been friends and we, we've stayed in touch, but I've been absolutely thrilled and not surprised in the slightest to see you go on and be successful in your career. Um, And I I suppose, mate, what I want to do for the purposes of today, because there is, I would say, ever-growing demands on footballers um, across the board, not more so in the Premier League, international players. The demands on players these days are, um, as I said, ever-growing. And I suppose for those that don't know, what's involved in the role of somebody within the performance team, head of performance. Tell us a little bit about what that role entails and, and the main areas of focus. So the, the main areas of focus, I mean, it is really wide ranging. And, and one of my old mentors, you say you change one thing, you change everything. And, and it can be as simple as a meeting pre-training running over by half an hour, because then that affects training time, that affects pre-training prep time that affects what happens after training as much as it happens at what happens with food time what happens with the bus time if you're traveling what time are you then getting in if you've got a certain slot all those things that you're trying to kind of control the main aim is obviously to get the lads available keep them available and then add to it in terms of injury prevention make sure they're robust for, for the games kind of highlight 
facts to the manager from the medical team. So we we seem to be like the almost like the go between. So you'll have your medical meeting, um, be involved in that. Then you'll kind of go in with the manager, discuss who's available, who maybe needs a little bit more, who needs a little bit less, what your concerns are. Um, they'll usually ask why you have those concerns, and that will be like a range of data that might be from from blood markers, from strength testing, from uh, the previous load that they've been through in the past sort of, it might be a week, it might be four weeks. Uh, it might be that they might have an illness. They might, it sounds like, like some lads suffered really, really badly with long COVID. So it really hit them. Um, so try and take into all these facts and you're trying to make sure that when you get to hotels, the food dry, how are the portions prepared? What are they having on the bus on the way home? How soon is that food delivered to them? after the game because that's really important as well what's their strategy what's the best time to fly are you better staying over yes yeah, so, so it's kind of like all real encompassing um, yeah it, it's really encompassing and, and it's really enjoyable you know it's it's those sorts of things it's I, th I think like i mean we'll probably touch on it like that that liverpool away game where they played away on wednesday night and then early on the saturday well well what's your strategy do you fly back after wednesday night getting at four o'clock in the morning just stay over in a hotel and then fly back Thursday, but then you're going to be flying Friday as well. Or do you just fly straight there and then have to train on a, on a different pitch, but then training on different pitches brings about its own problems in terms of logistics, in terms of injury rates, like there's loads on, on changing pitches regularly. So you kind of got to weigh up all these things, you know, what you're better doing, you know, the lads getting no sleep from Wednesday night or training on a, on a bad pitch so you, you're always kind of trying to weigh up the risks in in every kind of scenario um involved really i tell you what mate listening to that there i'm, I'm exhausted because i have enough trouble trying to worry about my own and my kids sleep and what they eat never mind the squad of 24 24 players i suppose with all those things that you've got to consider what does an average day look like then? And I, I realise that could be a ridiculously difficult question to answer because maybe no two two days are the same. Yeah. But traditionally in your role then, when you've got so many different plates that you're spinning, you're, you're planning in terms of the load on players, the training, what they've been eating, sleeping, what games are coming up. What does a, a normal day look like? Um, so, so it's normally in whatever time in the morning, 7, 7.30, and it's kind of it all comes back from what time you meet the manager. So you've got to get your your stuff together before you meet the manager. So if the manager wants to meet at eight, you're having your meeting at seven. If the manager wants his meeting at nine, you get a little bit more of a lion. So it depends. It depends what what manager you've got. If he's an early bird or likes to plan early, it can kill the whole medical team having to be in an hour and a half before that meeting. So you kind of get together as a as a performance and medical staff. You'll discuss things. You'll go through the players. You'll go through how training was yesterday, how training's been in the week, um, who's hopped on the bed to get certain treatment. It might be like, yeah, so-and-so was had a little bit of treatment on his groin. Now, okay, is there any, we've got all these different tests that we do. Is there anything that's flagged up on the test? No, there's not. Okay, maybe it's a flare-up or whatever, you know. Okay, we've got a game in four days. Are we likely to do, is he likely to be available? Is he not? Is it a hard training? Is he better training? Is he better not training? So, you're basically going through that process with every single player. Um, and then you've got the rehab players um, that you're discussing their plan and when they're going to be back because the manager always wants them back two weeks sooner than you say. So if you <laughs> if you say he's going to be out for six weeks, he wants them back in four. So 
you're constantly trying to pre-plan what's what's coming ahead and what the games are uh, around that point. Um, then you'll meet with the manager, you'll discuss training, who's training, who's not training, what sort of day is it? Is it a harder day? Is it an easier day? There's a couple of different types. There's what you call intensive or extensive. So smaller sided, bigger sided, how long's the training? Does everyone do all of training? Do some lads just come out and do part of it and then they go back in? Um, then there might be obviously lunch. There's meetings around that as well, before and after training, maybe. Then you've got your pre-training prep in the gym, doing stuff to get ready for training. You warm up, your training, your lunch might be some stuff in the gym after then you've got staff meetings in terms of how the day was anything that flares flares up strategy stuff to move sort of the the boring stuff forward and then you'll probably meet with the manager at the end of the day and go right well this was the evaluation of the day um and that'd be what you call a, a typical day then there's other days that are training and traveling so it's almost condensed you train your lunch and you're on the bus or you're on the plane and then you get the hotel and you're prepping for the game then you've got game days so yeah that that would be what what you kind of call like a normal type day i'm gonna have you back here right because you, you hopefully your missus won't listen to this so you, you might be all right you were saying how you are um not the best around the house is is one way of putting it yeah. i'll be honest mate so I totally have your back here i'm not bloody surprised if you're spinning all those plate plates in your working week it's no surprise that when you come home, you're probably not, okay, I didn't go to Tesco and I wasn't thinking what we're having for dinner and you've got all these other plates. It, it must be uh, it must be tiring. Well, 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 do you know what's really funny is is one of my mentors who who will remain absolutely nameless and he's, he's one of the best uh, in the game. He's, he's working as a, the head of medical at, uh, at a top six Premier League club. So we're not messing about, like really good. And he's so structured, so organised, thinks of everything. And... Um, my wife and he, we all got to know each other as couples and we went going out for dinner and I started joking that, you know, does he have like his itinerary when he goes on holiday and the structure of the day and, and all those sorts of things? She's like, what? I'm like, well, <laughs> you, you know how like structured he is? And she's like, no, he's not. So it's like, as soon as he goes home, he's just it's, like... The gloves and boots are ah, off, that's it, yeah. Yeah, just, just done. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is as well is, is, uh, is there's lots of different factors that you're getting calls at all sorts of time. There's a lot of wives get very angry because the phone's always on because you're either getting a call from the manager at eight, nine o'clock at night or lads texting you, I'm not well, or all this sort of stuff. You know, my kid's my kid's not well, he's gone all, all these sorts of factors that are kind of going on and then, you know, bringing that all together. So, so the next piece, I suppose, I, I, I want to touch on, and, and maybe these two are mutually exclusive, right, is... The biggest challenges in the role, but my assumption, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, is is maybe linked to the next part of the question, which is the likes of your modern managers, you, you know, your your top managers, your your, your Peps, your Klops, your Contes. They often moan about the lack of time on the training field. There's too many games. When you think of the biggest challenges in your role, is it linked to some of those factors in terms of the volume of of games? you know, that players have to go through and the expectations. What What's the most difficult things that you have to overcome at the moment? I, for me, in some ways, there's there's a couple of different factors that. So when it's just game, 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 it's fairly, it's almost easier for, for us because... There's You're in a routine. Three, yeah, because there's three groups of players. So there's your starters, your non-starters and your non-squad. So the starters take care of themselves. The non-squad kind of sit and, and they're the tough ones to get right and then you've got the ones that 
aren't traveling or whatever, they're fine because they take care of themselves. The problem for us as conditioners tends to happen either in international weeks or in the Premier League, you know, if you're playing Saturday morning and Monday night where you've got nine days. When there's two or three days between each game, from a purely physical point of view, managers always have it in their head, oh, there's a game in two days, so they don't do too much. Mm-hmm. And what you actually found is when everyone came back from, from lockdown, soft tissue injury rates everyone thought would be through the roof and they were actually a lot better because they got in the mode of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. So it was just play, recover, play, recover. So these lads, are they just got this rhythm. What happens is, particularly in international weeks, and, and you'll see it when lads come back from international, or not the international players, but the ones that stayed, because there's 16 days between games or whatever it is, they tend to get blasted a little bit. And because there's no game in three days, managers tend to think, oh, yeah, but it's 16... 16 days before the next game. So it becomes really hard to kind of rein in a manager go, well, what we're asking them is is quite a lot then. We might pay for it in seven to 10 days. Um, So that's like one part. But then when it comes Saturday, Tuesday, and I think this is what some of these managers do really, really well, is if you've got a Saturday, Tuesday game, it's pretty standard because play, recover, match day minus one game. The, the complex part of that is if you're going to make changes for them to be thinking about these changes ahead of time. So, for example, let's say Trent is going to play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. That's fairly easy. Play, recover, play, recover. If it's, um, let's say, Henderson. Henderson gets rested on the Saturday, but he's going to start on the Tuesday. Now, what you need to do is you need to top them up and give them some form of st- physical stimulus to replace the game so they don't lose conditioning. Sometimes you do that after the game, but maybe you've been away or you know whatever it is. So you have to do it on Sunday, which is not a problem. Now, if you're a player that's not involved, let's say Oxay chamberlain or Minamino, going to be sub, 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 top them up Sunday, top them up Wednesday, top them up Sunday. But with someone like Jordan Henderson, who if a manager doesn't know that he's going to be starting, he might have a big hit on the Sunday, which is two days before the game. And then that then impacts his physical outputs or his injury vulnerability on the Tuesday. So, for example, on that Sunday, he might do, let's say, 70% of the session, but he's not going to do 100% of it. But that's only if the manager has those kind of thoughts clear in his head. So then you kind of just constantly spinning, spinning plates. Well, it's interesting that you say that because that, that kind of leads me on to the next question is that must become really difficult in that how far ahead would managers know their team? Because obviously, if you're Saturday, Tuesday, or Sunday, Sunday, Wednesday, or whatever it is, you've got multiple competitions. You know, and when I say this question, I say it with those kind of Champions League clubs in mind, just because they're the ones that I assume experience the biggest load, more competitions, the likes. That must be really difficult for a the manager. Like, how far ahead are they thinking in terms of their team selections? Some don't. Some just really don't. Who have got available this week and we'll just Who crack got on from this week. And, and, and sometimes, for example, you can plan it a month in advance. And then, for example, a freak injury or something happens to like Joe Gomez the other night, then that shifts. Then Milner, who might have played 60 and come off, and Henderson, who might have been completely rested or just played 30, mm-hmm. ends up playing 60. So then that impacts then the next game. And, and this is where... I think if you look at, say, Liverpool last year, the injuries they had is is what people don't realise, is it just dominoes? So if they have, let's say, six centre midfielders, so you go and play three in the middle, six centre midfielders, 
two for each role. Then the centre-backs go out, or Thiago gets injured, so then you're down to, to five. So then you can't fully rotate. So you've got to be a little bit clever. Then when your centre-backs go out and Fabinho steps in, the game he's supposed to be rested or rotated, he's not resting and rotating. So he's playing that game. And then Henderson plays. And then, do you know what I mean? It becomes yeah. really cyclical. So, you know, if, if you look at what's happened with Man City and the centre-backs, that's why it seems to be when you get an injury somewhere, it just absolutely, like, magnifies because you can't dip in, dip out. You, you know, like... We had we had a scenario the other year that, and it's probably similar to the Champions League clubs. We had two number sixes, and in a normal season it would have been Saturday, uh, Saturday, Saturday, and he had a little grade one calf injury, nothing major. Probably would have missed one game, maybe two Saturday and a Saturday, and he would have been fine. But because of the fixture schedule, we went Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Friday. So the replacement number six, even though this other guy's only out for twelve days has had to play five games in 12 days. So then his risk of injury is through the roof. And and then, for example, then there's a chance that he might get injured. And never and never mind the impact that that could have on the season, if in theory, and I don't want to speak bad of players, if you're bringing in a player that, you know, you maybe could carry that player for, for a game or two, but all of a sudden, yeah. if you're entering a key part of the season, he's got to play five games in the spine of his team. It becomes a different conversation. Yeah, and, and, and that's where I think... Listen, the quadruples, um, like even just to get to where they've got to, it, it is an unbelievable achievement. But there is, I don't want to say it, like a bit of an element of l- luck or favour. Like, for example, with no disrespect, if, if their game last night had been against Southampton and they put that side out, but they'd had Chelsea or they'd had Tottenham, maybe they're not getting that result. L- listen, they might have done, I don't know. But, you know, like who have they got in the Champions League, you know, that they had the the win against Benfica that was quite easy. Then they've got a game. And then they can rest that other Benfica game. But if they've got Atletico Madrid, Atletico Madrid, then they can't rest. I'll give you that. Yeah, I was gonna. I'm glad you brought that up because I suppose that is something that I think played a massive impact in the game at Wembley against City. Is that Liverpool were pretty much able to put the bet the tar- the Benfica tight to bed after the first leg, which meant that they could rotate heavily for the yeah. return leg. They, they obviously drew the game, but in reality, they were able to dr- to rest key players, which they could then be pretty much full tilt for for the City game. City yeah. had two grueling, absolute wars against that Atletico where they weren't able to rotate, and then as a result. It was, I wouldn't say a patchwork team because it's never going to be with City, but it certainly didn't have all of their big hitters. So you can see the impact. I suppose that the question linked to this that I that I have, and maybe I'm hearing this wrong, is is it not just a consequence of too many games? Is it like at what point? And this is I'm really trying to get my head around. At what point is football starting to eat itself? And enough is enough because we we spoke kind of before the podcast a little bit on you know you've got all these different governing bodies you've got all these different leagues all with their own vested interests and there's just so many games and they all want a little piece of these top players is all of these problems or the, these consideration points not a result of ultimately just asking too much of of players or do you think like where's the tipping point i think is is where i'm trying to get to i i, I generally i think it's going to come sooner i, I think the stresses that have been put on these lads, listen, they get a lot of money, but the, the, there's nothing to... It doesn't matter how much you get paid to physically perform. What, they get, what they're getting asked to do is 
astronomical. Like to play at that level, if, if you ever get to like pitch level of a Premier League game and you see the intensity and the speed, it's just—I mean, it's it's off it's off the charts. These guys are absolute racehorses. Whether you think they're not or whatever, they're absolute specimens. So do that again and again and again. It's like if you look at Mo Farah, what's he do? Four big marathons a year. A tennis player, okay, they play lots of tournaments, but they have four majors a year. These guys are going, the international lads, Liverpool, Tottenham, all these lads are doing 50 weeks a year, twice a week. So the problem is, is because everyone wants a bit of it. So then because it's so popular, we want to watch it. So then the more money comes into it because every, everyone knows it's sellable and it becomes its own sort of worst worst enemy. But it, it's a really tricky one because ultimately the clubs gain the finances from it being so successful. But the byproduct of that is that there's always going to be almost too many games. But that's why, to a degree, these squads like Man City, Liverpool, end up having two, two and a half teams effectively to deal with it. And there was probably a transition where people weren't used to it. And, and even to a point, if, if you look at, say, these Champions League teams, this is talking as, as a staff member, things like structure. So if you look at, let's say, a Burnley or a West Ham who get into Europe, even the, the infrastructure behind it isn't built for European football. So if you have five physios, no one's getting a day off. I know what you say, but if you're flying back from Frankfurt, getting in at three o'clock in the morning, then you're in at eight and then you're on the plane. The next, if you're doing that for 45, 50 weeks, it's pretty grueling, even as a staff member. So it helps when you're, let's say, Tottenham or whoever, and you've got 14 physios, because then you can actually go, well, you flew away last night, I'll cover today. And that's just from a staffing point of view. It's really like, I don't want to say draining, but it, it the adrenaline dump of the games and it just being every other game, because you kind of live for that and you live and die by, by that result and all the decisions that you go in, you know, the manager's asking you before the game, can he get through this game? So I'm sure there would have been a lot of, not stress or pressure, but put on by Klopp and the medical team, whatever, for that Southampton game. Do we risk players or do we go with this team? And then there's all that anxiety because you're making these key decisions and then they win the game. So there's like an absolute elation behind it. So, you know, I've maybe got off point a little bit, but... I remember when I started, if a player played sort of 3,000 to 3,500 minutes per year, it was a really, it was a, it's a, it's a bloody good season for them. So what's that? I think that's 38 to 40 odd games in and around there. I was looking at something the other day, like Ruben Diaz has played 6,000 minutes a year for three years. Jeez. And even we had a game at Newcastle where we played, I can't even remember what day it was. I think it might've been the Sunday. And we played and we played Spurs and they had Emerson Royale and Romero. And they played effectively Friday morning UK time in South America, finished that game, flew all the way back to Tottenham, got there Saturday morning, probably trained, flew up, and then started the game on Saturday on Sunday. Jeez. How do you expect anyone to be? I mean, you just do that, it's just a pure jet lag and go into the office. You know, if you're if you finish a game at one o'clock in the morning in South America and you fly back to UK on a 12-hour flight, you, you're kind of all over the shop. And it takes you, I mean, if we talk about the science, it takes a certain amount of days to get over that jet lag anyway. And then you're asking them to perform, but 
at a Premier League level. It, it, it's a real tough one for him. Yeah, you, you you mentioned something earlier that I think people don't take into account is um, is the mental side of this. So, you know, particularly if we're looking from a performance perspective, because we live in a day and age of social media now, and God forbid a player dip to a seven out of ten in terms of performance, because on social media they'll be they'll be slammed. We need to sell them. You know, the reactive nature of fan bases now. But it's not only the demand that's that's being put on the players in terms of their legs and their ability to perform. But you mentioned something there about that, I suppose, that adrenaline dump. And you used a great example before about Elton John. Give people, I suppose, a little bit of insight on on that adrenaline dump and maybe the impact that could have if you play Saturday, Tuesday and and the likes. Yeah, I I mean, for me, like we spoke briefly before, even as a kind of staff member, we had it last year where the, the season was really condensed. So it was Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, all year, which is effectively what, these Champions League clubs have it. And I remember getting to March and looking at one of the other lads going, I'm done. Like, and I'm not even playing because you get up for games and you've got the, the win or the loss. And then like, you've got another, and then oh, another game. And it's, and just because they're getting paid a lot of money doesn't mean that, that it's easier to deal with. And, and the analogy we use, like if you went to Elton John, but he was, he was doing five shows a day every day and you're seeing the fifth one. He's not going to quite be as motivated. And it's like, if you've been training all year for, if we take the example of a Champions League semi-final, or let's say a charity close to your heart and you're going to do the London Marathon and you've trained all year and blah, blah, blah. And then two days later, you get asked to do a park run of 5K around your local park with four people. It's not quite the same. Mm. And, you know, the mentality to perform and do that again and again and again, like these lads are doing is... Is unbelievable. I think the the one stumbling block to this type, it was you know, if a Klopp comes out and you know moans about the jo- the lack of joined up thinking, you know, I think he asked for the game. I don't think they could play the game after Southampton on the Wednesday because Rangers were playing in the Europa League, and and then Villa were playing on the Thursday, so he he was asking could Liverpool potentially play on the Thursday anyway. I think we suffer as fans because there's nearly that that mentality can't drop the club. The, the club glasses. So if you're a Man City fan, you're going to think Klopp is moaning. If it's Pep is t- doing the, the the moaning, Liverpool fans are going to throw. Nobody's actually listening to what the managers are saying. And then the, the easy kind of um, response seems to be, well, you know, I'm on a building site and I get paid X amount. I'd, I'd love to get their money to run round on a Tuesday and a Saturday. And it's not, it's not about that. It's about the levels of performance that these players are able to, to, to put out. And yes, managers will have their own their own club's interests at heart, but ultimately they they want top players to play for as long as possible and be on the pitch, which is fans what is what we want. Um, when you're looking at, I suppose, when when players are at that tipping point, and maybe it is a little bit too much. What are the, the I suppose indicators you would look for if you're looking at this going? Look, he's played a lot of football. He's not injured, but he's at risk. What what are you looking at and analysing at that point? So so I think. Well, there's always different factors. And first of all, there's there's the playing style. So so Liverpool have a, a certain playing style. So, for example, a game I was in, involved in last year, I got the numbers earlier. As centre-backs, it was one low-block team and one extreme high-press team. Forget total distance. The, the real draining stuff is the high-intensity markers in the sprint distance. Two centre-backs with a low-block team did 300 metres high-speed running. Okay. The the opposition, the high press team, did 900 meters high speed running. 
the centre backs. Wow. So you look, that's three times more, and that's every game. And then you've got sprint distance. So it was like 50 meters for the low block team and 350 for the high press team. Wow. So a certain style has certain physical outcomes. So again, this is where these top clubs are really good. They their game model is the way they train, it's the way they recruit. Because for example, if you're a low or high block, it doesn't mean that you're a better or worse player, but there's certain defenders are better in a high press than a low blocker and, and vice versa. It doesn't mean that one is good or bad. So what you're constantly looking at is, for example, if one of those centre-backs in the low block team did 800 metres high-speed running, you'd be like, wow, that's double what he's done. So there's going to be some some kickback of that in the week, some hammies, some, there's going to be some soreness. Um just because it's different. And it's like, if you go on a run, if you do a 10K run every day and you and you go around, around your estate and blah, 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 and then you do a 10K run on the beach, even though it's a 10K run, because it's on sand and there's that, you're going to be, oh, my back's a little, it'll just kick up a little few things at all. And then you do that again. So you're looking at training marks in terms of distances. What's norm? What are they at? Um, game markers, where are they at? sometimes they might have had outputs at 50% higher than, than they've ever done before. So that's a factor. Then you're looking at blood markers, strength testing on Nord board, um, groin squeeze, and where's their normal? Are they back to where they were before? What did the previous game take out of them? How are they on a Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday week? Have they had experience of playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday? So for example, someone like Harvey Elliott, he might not, let's say, played Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Where someone like Trent, that's his norm. Mm. You, you know, so, so you're constantly looking at 10 or 15 different markers and trying to build a picture. There's no one right way. And then there's also how the player's feeling. You know, he might be on the on the fissure begum. I am like groins hanging off, hammies are hanging off. And then you go, well, what's caused that? Do, do, do you get what I mean? So, so there's mm. always these factors. And then you're going, well, if we're playing in a low block, you're probably going to be okay. But if you're um the center back of the high press team and your hammies are tight before the game or whatever and we've got all this information saying well it's high speed loading is through the roof from what he's used to is his hamstring markers are down his bloods are up boa he's reporting fatigue and soreness there's a risk but then there's also the the conversation of there's a risk but it might be a champions league final yeah it's and it's, it's what... like you take the risk it's funny when you when you were saying that, I don't know why this and appreciate you might not be able to comment being within the game, but it, it, I was thinking of the recruitment side. Then it got me thinking of the recruitment side, which I hadn't necessarily thought about. Where if you're looking at the load that's put on the centre back who plays in the low block, and then with that with a poor recruitment strategy, and I don't know why I thought of this, but I thought of Harry Maguire. Right, Manchester United try to be a pressing team. They, now, my opinion is they don't do it particularly well at the moment. They're a bit of a mishmash, but they play a, high, a higher defensive line, which is going to put. My assumption, again, please correct me if I'm wrong, more of an expectation on the likes of a Harry Maguire to maybe have to do more sprints because there's more space in behind him. Mm -hmm. I think that could be a consequence as why Harry Maguire looked a really strong defender at Leicester where there was less space for him to have to defend him behind and he was more comfortable. So it, it shows even down to the recruitment side of things, you want to be buying in players that are used to the style that you are putting on your players. So if you're a high-press team, it's like a Luis Diaz example. He yeah. pretty much did the role at Porto that Klopp wants him to do at Liverpool. So that transition has been easy. Is that fair? 
Yeah, 100%. And so there's the physical aspect, then there's the technical aspect and tactical. So I think Monday Night Football did a, a really good one. So if you're going to play a high line, you're going to get caught. Your keeper's going to get caught one-on-one a lot. So guess what? If you want to be the, the most extreme pressing team that Liverpool do, your goalkeeper best be good one-on-one. Good at one-on-one. Yeah. So there's all this thinking that you've got to do. And, and likewise, like you say, it doesn't mean a player is good or bad. It's just different. And it, yeah. it fits certain systems. And that's why... When you constantly change managers and it goes from a high press to a low block, it's not just like, for example, Ralph Raniak, reputation, coach, whatever. But if he hasn't got people that are capable to do what he wants to do. Square pegs, round holes. Yeah, it, it becomes really hard for him. So what does he do? Does he completely change his philosophy or does he change the players? Like, what do you do? And then there's the other aspect of... You know, if you then change your philosophy, everyone's going, well, hold on, you're this guy. And you're like, yeah, but my players can't do it. And like you say, it doesn't mean it's good or bad. There's just different. And you've got to recruit. That's what, when you get longevity like Pep or Klopp or these people, they're recruiting certain people to play a certain way because it fits the model. What, what these teams have to do now is when they replace these managers, whenever it is, have managers that are pretty similar. You know, we had a, a scenario where I was quite. We had a, a few managerial changes at Huddersfield, and um, our director of football asked me to present to the board of directors. And we we're just talking about like the training, and we had uh, one manager who was who was very successful. And if you look at his week, he had thirty accelerations and thirty decelerations in a certain zone across four days. So you're talking about tennis a day. A new manager came in who's currently being very successful, and we're having about a hundred wow. per day. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So you've gone from ten a day to a hundred a day. So guess what? You're gonna get injuries as a result. Yeah. Like that's not a good or bad thing. One is not better than the other. They're just it's different. just difference. Yeah. So so what you've got to have, and it becomes cyclical with these managers. What they have is players aren't fit which is never true. Then what happens is because they train a certain way and they're playing a different way, there's a spike of injuries. Then the medical team come under threat. And then what happens is then they come out the other side of it. But it's always, if you look at every manager, it's, we're not fit enough. Oh, now we've got injuries. And then these aren't my players. And that's like the cyclical thing. In because reality, it's just an adjustment phase. Yeah, there's got there's an adjustment phase. If you look at Klopp, Klopp got absolutely buried by certain people and how many soft tissue injuries they were having. Look how many soft tissue injuries they have this year. How many games does Trent churn out? How many games does Van Dyke churn out? The front three are a joke, by the way. You know, Salah, Man. Like, when I listen, you correct me wrong. How many games have they missed through soft tissue injuries in the past four years? Yeah. When Mo went down the other day, I was like, Mo Salah injured? That doesn't happen. That can't be right. And that's what I mean. So, So he's had a certain way. And whether it be Lalana's, Sturridge's, it's like, well, this is the level of survival. Hit the bar, and if you don't, see you later, and we'll bring someone else in who can cope with it. Doesn't mean that they're not good players. It's just this is the the style, and we want to go this way. And if you can't do it, you can't do it. Right, mate. I want to finish off. Uh, I want to finish off with um, a career highlight question because you've you've obviously had a rounded experience, whether that's international club level, um, in various leagues, and various countries. What what's been your career highlight today? Because there's been promotions along the way. What would you say is something that, that sticks out in your mind and uh, why? Um, 
I, I think there's probably two. What one Ma- would managing John Moore's ma- managing well, John Moore's that, yeah. that would be one. That that would be another <laughs> one. Um, the, the, the promotion, of course, to be part of that and be part of a that as a team, it's, it's just a really kind of special experience. Unfortunately, what usually happens after promotion, especially when it's the Premier League, is not very nice. Mm. It's horrible being in the Premier League if if you're a newly promoted team because it's the most brutal, ruthless. I mean, it's actually not fun. Did that, did that happen twice, Cal? Was that with Cardiff and Huddersfield? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. so when, when you're a newly promoted team, it's genuinely like you're going away to Liverpool, you're going away to Man City, going, if we lose 3 0, that's like a moral victory. Whereas at least when you're in the champ, you just don't know what's going to happen. Like yeah. you just, you, it's a champ and anyone can win. If you're an established Premier League team, it's different. But when you're a newly promoted team, you can be on the right. You can actually play well for the first half. I think Leeds did it the other day. Actually played really well for the first half. Come off going, we've lost 4 <laughs> 0. It's like brutal. Um, and then the other part was obviously going to, to the Euros in 2016. I think that as a, as a football fan, to kind of be involved in a tournament and see everything behind it. That was, it was just pretty cool. Like it was like a tick, like a, yeah, pinch, like, a pinch me moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for, for sure. It was a, it was a kind of surreal experience. So something I never thought I'd, I'd get to do either. So you obviously set your goals. Oh, I want to be in the champ or I want to get the Prem, but that was something I'd never even kind of set a goal for because it just, it just won't happen. And then, yeah. So, so they were both pretty cool. I love it. Um, so, Cal, that brings us uh, to the end of the podcast. You, you, you'll come back on with us again, mate. Is that right? Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Right, good man. Good man. Um, so, I'm going to wrap up there. Um, it's obviously been a pleasure. Uh, it's been fantastic for me to see you go on and, and do so well, mate. And I'm definitely looking forward to, to having you back on. For those listening, if you could do me a quick favour, wherever you're listening, please leave us a review and a rating. Um, or if you're going to watch this on YouTube once I've posted it, just leave us a little comment. Let us know your thoughts, any questions for Cal um, or like the video. It will go a long way to helping this podcast spread the word. So with that, I hope you enjoyed the rest of your week. Look after yourselves and we'll be back with you again next week on the Boot Room Podcast. All the best.